Hello, this is Jeremiah Jacques. Thank you for tuning in to The Sun Also Rises. If you think about all of the creatures on Earth, human beings and all of the mammals, reptiles, fish, birds, and insects, and everything else, when it comes to intellect and creative power, there's no question that humans outperform every other creature on Earth. No comparison at all. But did you know that there's also a basic physical area in which people can outperform the animals. It's not jumping. Plenty of animals can outjump us, especially after you adjust for body length to jump length ratio. It's also not sprinting, you know, covering ground in a short time. That honor goes to cheetahs, at least for mammals. Cheetahs can sprint at more than 60 miles per hour. And even a lot of really small animals, like the squirrel, for example, are insanely fast for those kinds of distances. Usain Bolt could not catch a squirrel, but it would be very entertaining to see him try. People are also not best at strength, not by a long shot. Gorillas, chimpanzees, horses, donkeys, tigers, elephants, they're all much stronger than people, even after you adjust for body weight to strength ratio. People are also not the best at swimming or nimbleness, certainly not at flying. We're not best at being able to see at night, being able to make the loudest sound, or being able to hold our breath for the longest time. We're not the best at hearing, smell, or sight, or living the longest, or being able to reproduce the most efficiently. In all of those areas, there are many animals that have abilities vastly superior to those of people. But there is one basic physical activity that people are better at than animals, and that is running long distances in hot weather. There are certain indigenous peoples who, even to this day, hunt for big game, things like kudu antelope, just by running it down. These are insanely fast animals, but over the course of 15 or 20 or 25 miles, especially if it's a hot day, A small group of men can run these animals to exhaustion. Basically, the men chase the antelope until it overheats. And at that point, the men are tired, but they're able to sweat through millions of sweat glands in a way that the antelope can't. So the men keep on going. After the antelope overheats, the men can walk right up to it and put a spear through it, and they have meat for the week. Discover Magazine published an article about this a few years back, and it says, quote, Not only can humans outlast horses, but over long distances and under the right conditions, they can also outrun just about any other animal on the planet, including dogs, wolves, hyenas, and antelope, the other great endurance runners. From our abundant sweat glands to our Achilles tendons, from our big knee joints to our muscular gluti maximi. Human bodies are beautifully tuned running machines. End quote. Beautifully tuned running machines. That's the conclusion that comes from uh, the research of biologist Dennis Bramble, paleoanthropologist Daniel Lieberman, journalist Christopher McDougall, and many others. And it's interesting because it's not the physical ability that we would choose for ourselves if we were presented with a choice of all the amazing abilities in the animal kingdom. We might choose being able to fly like the peregrine falcon, 
or being able to see in the dark like a snow leopard, or being able to swim through the ocean like a great white, or something like that. But people can't do any of those things. Instead, we can endure. We can endurance run in a way that scientists say is superior to pretty much every animal on earth. And I think there's a lot of purpose and significance to that. So on the show today, we're going to talk about some life lessons that we can learn from endurance running. And we'll sort of take a look at the marathon as a metaphor for life. I've had the chance to do some endurance running over the years, a couple of uh, half marathons and a full one also, and there certainly were no world records broken on those occasions, but I still look back fondly on those experiences. It's a kind of thing that you don't enjoy very much at the time, but that later you're happy to have completed. One powerful life lesson that we can learn from endurance running is that myopia kills. Myopia is basically short-sightedness, seeing only what's directly in front of you. And I had a track coach back in middle school who told us that when you're running, especially long distances, it's important psychologically to set your sights far ahead of you. Don't look down fixating on the ground right under your feet. Instead, cast your gaze way out ahead to where you will be running. And this is something that plenty of running experts agree with. They say that looking down at your feet or just ahead of you is a sure way to get um, discouraged and to tire out more quickly. It can also lead to back and neck pain. So instead, it's best to look far ahead. This lesson, as applied to life in general, is pretty obvious. Just that, you know, if we get too, too focused and fixated on the day-by-day concerns in this life, then we can sometimes get sort of burned out. If we zoom out, though, and see more of the big timeline, the timeline even beyond the 70 or 80 or 90 years that our own life will be, then we'll be able to keep on running. If we focus on eternity and on the whole universe, then it's easier to keep moving forward. And with that perspective, it's easier to keep on making the kinds of decisions each day, week, and month that will help us to feel fulfilled. There is one big caveat here, which is that, yes, a marathon runner should look far ahead and set his gaze on the horizon for the most part. But that runner also needs to be taking glances regularly at where his footfalls are landing to make sure that he avoids tripping in a pothole or something like that. So there too, in life, it's important to have this, you know, zoomed out, big picture perspective. But we also need to stay aware of our day-to-day progress. So, you know, focus on eternity, but also take it one day or one stride, you might say, at a time. To illustrate another lesson here, there's a story about an Australian man named Robert de Castella that really demonstrates it powerfully. Back in 1982, de Castella was in Brisbane participating in the Commonwealth Games, and his event was the marathon. 
So he lined up at the starting line, alongside elite marathoners from all around the world, and bang, the starter's gun sounded and they were off. But very early in the race, something went wrong. There was a big collision in the lead pack of runners. De Castella got tripped up and he hit the pavement hard. He lost quite a bit of skin, he was bleeding in several places, and he was really rattled by this fall. He was able to pick himself up off the pavement, but he was way behind the lead pack. Television commentators and onlookers gave him no chance for a medal. After sustaining injuries like that, and after a delay like that, the most he could hope for was a noble finish. And that was if he could endure the pain of his injuries for the 20-plus miles that were still left in the race. This was about the worst beginning to a marathon you could imagine. It was a rough start. But De Castella kept running and running. The cameras and TV commentators all forgot about him, but he kept running. And little by little, he narrowed the gap between himself and the runners in that lead pack. Little by little, he narrowed that gap, and then, as the race entered into its final few miles, De Castella, despite that really rough beginning, and despite his bleeding cuts, he caught the lead group. Everyone was stunned at this comeback. They'd all written him off, and yet there he was. And then he pushed his way into third place, and then second place. And by the time the finish line came into view, De Castella had taken the lead. Thousands of spectators rose to their feet to cheer on the, the remarkable endurance and determination of this man, and he won. And it can be the same for any of us in our lives, even if we have a rough start, and even if we take a tumble or two along the way, that doesn't mean we can't have a glorious finish. Another lesson is, if it's at all possible, don't stop running. I've got a quote here from an article published on Active.com. The article is called 11 Major Marathon Mistakes. It's written by the well-regarded running coach, Dr. Owen Anderson. And he writes, quote, Some marathoners actually think that walking during the race will improve their times. If we suggested to these same people that running more slowly during the event would upgrade their performances, they would laugh in our faces. But somehow they buy the walking concept. No one needs to walk during the marathon. We can all learn to run the entire race. End quote. So don't stop running, Dr. Anderson says. Now, not all uh, running experts agree with that assessment. Some of them say that taking a few short walk breaks during a marathon can help you. But in my own experience, the trouble with stopping for a walk is that it makes it really, really tough to want to start to run again. It's like you you lose some mental momentum. Once you stop, it's much harder to start back up. And it's the same situation in our lives. Momentum is valuable and hard sometimes to regain if we come to a stop in our growth and progress. That makes me think of what Paul wrote there in his letter to the Hebrews. He was, he was really using running an endurance race as a metaphor for life here. 
And he said, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. End quote. Run with patience. Keep on going. Even if you have to go slowly, keep running with patience. Keep running and keep moving forward in that race. In a moment, we'll get to a few other lessons we can learn from viewing the marathon as a metaphor for life. But first, let's take a quick look at the history and origin of the marathon. The marathon was never one of the events in the Olympic Games there in ancient Greece, but it dates back to another event in the history of ancient Greek civilization. This was in the year 490 BC, and the Persians, led by King Darius I, invaded Greece at a coastal location called Marathon. That's about 26 miles from Athens. The Persians came in with a force that was five to ten times larger than the Athenian force. And King Darius vowed that he would push all the way to Athens and destroy the Greeks' capital city. Well, the Athenians, 26 miles away there, decided that they would preemptively burn their homes, destroy their city, and run away before the Persians could invade. That was their plan, and they stood ready to do it. Well, back in Marathon, before the battle started, the Greeks sent a soldier named Pheidippides to run 150 miles to Sparta so that he could ask the Spartans for help. But the Spartans were busy with some sort of religious observance, so they said they couldn't help, so Pheidippides ran 150 miles back to Marathon to tell the Athenians that they were on their own. The battle started, and even on their own, and even greatly outnumbered, the astounding Greek soldiers overpowered the Persians. The Greeks were able to surround the Persians on the beach where they'd landed and fight them back into their ships. So the Greeks won the battle, and then they wanted to make sure that their countrymen back in Athens didn't go through with that plan to burn the capital city down. So once again, they sent Pheidippides to run the 26 miles to Athens to, you know, tell the Athenians there that the Greeks had won. The story says that Pheidippides ran all the way back over all kinds of hills and other terrain at basically full speed, and he finally made his way into the downtown district of Athens, and he delivered the message that Greece had won, so there was no need to burn Athens. And then he collapsed and died. Apparently, during the battle with the Persians, back in Marathon, Pheidippides had been stabbed. And then when he was told to run to Athens after the battle, he didn't say anything about his wound. He just made that long run, even though he was bleeding. So that's apparently why he died. Some historians dispute parts of this account. Some say it's partly legend. But despite that, the story has persisted through the millennia. And it is the basis for the modern-day marathon. The founder of the modern Olympic Games was a Frenchman named Pierre de Coubertin, and when he was a young boy, he'd been really inspired by this story of the heroic Pheidippides. And so when they held the first modern Olympics in Athens back in 1896, Mr. Coubertin insisted that there be a race running right along that same path from Marathon to Athens that Pheidippides would have taken back in 490 BC. 
And that distance from Marathon to Athens, as I mentioned, is about 26.2 miles. And that came to be the, uh, the official distance of what we call a marathon today. Ever since 1896 and that first installment of the modern Olympic Games, the marathon has become kind of enshrined in athletic culture. It's upheld as a really admirable accomplishment for any person to achieve. Today, there are at least 800 marathons held around the world every year. Most of them are uh, pretty straightforward, but some of them are quite exotic. There's a marathon held each year on top of a stretch of the Great Wall of China. There's the Polar Circle Marathon, held on Greenland's ice cap. There's also the Great Tibetan Marathon, which is at 12,500 feet above sea level. I've run a little bit in the Rocky Mountains at a place not nearly that high up, and the difficulty even at that altitude was just astonishing. The oxygen is is just so much thinner that running is, is really difficult. So I think that would be quite an accomplishment for someone to complete that great Tibetan marathon. Okay, we're going to take a short break here. This is The Sun Also Rises on KPCG-FM here in Edmond, Oklahoma, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to The Sun Also Rises radio show and podcast This is KPCG-FM, 101.3 on the FM dial, and the live stream is available anywhere in the world if you just type kpcg.fm into your internet browser. Today we're talking about the marathon as a metaphor for life and some lessons that we can learn from kind of uh, contemplating that analogy. In the first half, we talked about looking as far ahead as you can when you're running. We talked about how A bad start doesn't mean that you can't have a great finish. And we also talked about the value of keeping the run going. One other life lesson that we can learn from endurance running comes from the Ethiopian man, Haile Gebra Selassie. He's a double Olympic gold medalist who has smashed all kinds of world records. He's widely regarded as the greatest distance runner in history. And he said, quote, When you run the marathon you run against the distance, not against the other runners, and not against the time. You do not run against the other runners, he says. Successful marathon runners will not be fixated on comparing themselves to other runners. And marathons are quite a bit different from most other athletic events because if you are Haile Gabra Selassie, or if you're, you know, a 22-year-old from Kenya's Kalenjin tribe, then sure, you might be in the running to win a certain marathon. But for the rest of us, it's about finishing the race. That's the goal. And maybe a secondary goal is to try to improve on your own personal record. But there's room for everyone at the finish line. And marathon runners are well known for offering a lot of encouragement to each other. That's what prompted 
Catherine Switzer to famously say, if you're losing your faith in humanity, go out and watch a marathon. And it is pretty remarkable to see that just because it's so unlike what you see at most us versus them kinds of sporting events. I've been the recipient of a lot of that encouragement during the races that I've run, and and it actually seems to help more than you would think, especially after you're 15 or 20 miles in and enduring a lot of pain. But this is a powerful lesson that applies to all of life. Don't compare yourselves among yourselves. If we compare ourselves to others, it usually just begets either envy and resentment or lethargy. But if we compete less and encourage more, we'll be running the good run. One final life lesson was made evident to me during the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon in 2013. I didn't run that one, but I was there at the finish line to cheer on my sister, Tara Herkus, and some other friends who were running. And after they all finished, we ended up just hanging around the finish line for quite a while. It was a a really nice day, and we were just enjoying some snacks and whatnot. And a few runners were still trickling in. This would have been six and a half hours or so after the race started. So almost all of the runners would have long since finished, but there were just a few still coming in. And it was actually pretty emotional to see these people crossing the finish line. Most of them were not in great shape, but they had decided for whatever reason to run this marathon. And then some inexplicable mental determination made them keep on going long after their physical ability to run had been destroyed. And a few of us were there just really, you know, in awe of these individuals and cheering them on. And then suddenly, right at the curve, just before the home stretch, we saw a man in a wheelchair roll in. And he, well, he, he was utterly exhausted. He had just used his arms to wheel 26.2 miles, so he was in rough shape. As he kept getting closer, we could see that he was a man about my age, uh, and he had no legs from about the mid-thigh. And it looked like he had some serious problems with one of his arms also, and he was very near to total exhaustion. But you would not believe the way the crowd, what was left of it, came to attention and just cheered for this man. This man who was just utterly determined to finish this marathon despite his circumstances. And then the marathon announcer guy came over the loudspeakers and he told us the man's name. I don't remember what it was, but the announcer said that he was a veteran who had lost his legs serving the United States in combat. He was part of the Wounded Warriors Project. And I think most of us there were just overcome with emotion to see this man's determination, to see his will to endure as he crossed the finish line. It was a very moving thing to witness. But anyway, the life lesson there is just that You know, as as cliche as it sounds, anyone can do it. Anyone can complete a marathon. Not having working legs puts you in about the worst situation you could be in to run a marathon. But many disabled men and women 
like that wounded warrior, still do it anyway. They weren't dealt the best hand for running a race. Their circumstances are not great. But they don't let that stop them from having a really spectacular finish. And it's the same for people running, you know, what you might call the, uh, the life race. And those kinds of difficult circumstances actually make the completion that much more amazing. Like the saying goes, the greater the struggle, the more glorious the triumph. Well, that's the show for today. We thank you for tuning in, and please feel free to send us your comments by emailing tsar at kpcg.fm. I would like to thank Mr. Gareth Fraser for tipping me off to the story about Robert DeCastella. Mr. Fraser wrote a powerful article about DeCastella's marathon, which is called Running with Spiritual Endurance. You can find that at pcog.org. And I'll leave you today with some words that were spotted on a spectator's sign at a marathon event. The person who starts the race is not the same person who finishes the race. <laughs>